Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 18. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For it is about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. This is the word of the Lord. Well done, Henry. Well done. Uh, Speaking of well done, uh, I miss All Saints Sunday, uh, but I didn't have to since I was able to watch it, and it was just like a service full of poignant moments, a poignant service full of poignant moments, so thank you very much for that. And uh, I did miss being with you last week, but you were in good hands, and I, I worshiped with you. You just couldn't see me. I can't hear out of this ear. And if uh, you ever wonder what kind of impact that has on a family, just ask my children and my wife. The, we, the way that the room is set up at our house, you always want to be sitting to dad's right, because then you can actually have a conversation. If you're sitting to dad's left, he may be nodding along, but not actually hearing what you're saying. The staff meetings are interesting. I'm not sure what it is I've agreed to over the last several weeks and months. Uh, but apparently there's dancing at... at uh, Harvest dinner now, I don't know. Um. <laughs> uh, it's, it's especially hard when I'm in a room that has a lot of other noise, like a, like a, like a busy restaurant or something like that. I mean, it's, that is uh, kind of confounding, and it's so much so that sometimes if I'm in a really loud room, I can be sitting at a table with someone and really struggle to hear the person sitting across from me. I mean, I, sometimes I can't hear the person sitting across from me if I'm in a busy and, and crowded room because the noise, uh, the noise in that crowded room is, is confounding, it's, it's distracting, and, and it just, you know, I just can't can't hear. I think that is sometimes the way that my faith works too. Like there is this God who comes especially close. We talk about this all the time. This God who comes especially close and has a very particular message for me. (laughs) A very particular message. And perhaps it's a message of warning. Perhaps it's a message of encouragement. Uh, Perhaps it's a message of solidarity. But sometimes all the noise right? And maybe I'm not the only one, but sometimes all the noise out there keeps me from hearing the person that's right there in front of me. Man, there was a lot of noise this week. Amen? (laughs) I mean, uh, if you are anything like me and the noise, the noise sometimes can keep you from hearing the whispering voice of God. Uh, then you had, you had ample opportunity 
to be distracted and confounded and afflicted and conflicted this week. I don't know if you know this, but we had an election this week. And it looks to me like um, whatever side of the aisle you might find yourself on, you have reasons to wring your hands. It, It looks to me like you may even have reason to have your head in your hands. Like I know one side of the aisle is saying, our state will never recover. But the other side of the aisle is saying, our nation will never recover. Dear God, what are we gonna do? And amongst those number will be people who are like you going to church and singing the songs. Many of them will be going to churches within our particular tradition and the fact that we serve and are, are living within a tradition that believes something really good about God and something really good about creation, that, all of that seems to kind of be in question depending on what's happening in the particular news cycle you're in, right? I mean, let, let me say this to you. Uh, we are not a theological tradition that has put all of our eggs in the hereafter basket. You can say amen whenever you want to. Anywhere in there is good, right? We are a particular theological tradition that believes that the good news is meant to be heard, implemented, embodied, announced for the here and now. We actually believe, we actually believe that God has not abandoned creation, but by the Spirit and in and through, in and through the people of God, enlivened by that same Spirit, we can actually move an entire, whatever, society toward better measures of human flourishing and all God's people said? Amen. Okay, that's good. But sometimes the noise, right? Sometimes the noise keeps us from hearing the voice that sometimes shouts but sometimes whispers. And sometimes it seems like a whisper because the rest of the world seems to be shouting. (laughs) And again, and if you're anything like me and you're struggling to hear in the first place, right? All of the shouting may mean that's really kind of hard to keep both hands, to keep a good solid grip on the hope that we have merely because we're the people of God. I mean, how is your hope meter these days? Like where where are you at? If you're a public school teacher, maybe one place. If you're concerned about some other national trends, maybe in a very different place, right? But how are you doing as it has to do with whether or not you can, with a straight face, read a verse like we're going to read later on in this passage that goes something like this. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together. And then the pastor has the audacity on the Sunday after the Tuesday. The pastor has the audacity to say, no, no, this is not about heaven when we die. This is about Oklahoma. Like what what happens then and there? What happens then? Is that the point at which you go, this faith thing is weird? Or you go, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, if, if 
sitting where you are, you wonder how we can read some of these verses with a straight face, then you are likely in, in much the same place that the original audience for Isaiah 65 would find themselves. The, the original audience in Isaiah 65, let's, let's sort of put it where it's supposed to be in terms of the, the historical backdrop. They have returned, many of the people who had been ripped out of their homes, many of those families had returned after the exile, Babylonian exile, because the Persians conquered the Babylonians and the Persians says, we're not gonna do this kind of thing anymore. If you would like to go home, to Jerusalem. If you'd like to go home, we're gonna, we're gonna allow you to do that. And so a lot of them did come back. And then they joined forces with a lot of folks who didn't merit being deported. <laughs> a lot of folks who had kind of stayed through there on, on that patch of ground, but they had seen their city destroyed. They had seen the wall around the city destroyed. They'd seen the temple destroyed. And not just one time, but it seems like all the time. So they stayed and they were living a very different life when all these people finally came back and, and now here they are together, not necessarily even getting along and not seeing much progress. In fact, there's real evidence here in 3rd Isaiah. Now your Bible may not have a book called 3rd Isaiah, but it's in there, I promise. It is chapters 56 through 66. It's a completely different time period and this is the time period we're talking about. The people of God are trying to get it all back together. They're trying to rebuild the wall. They're trying to rebuild the city. They're trying desperately to rebuild the temple, but there is problem after problem. There's terrible election result after terrible election result, and they are starting to wonder again whether or not God can live up to God's promises or whether they misunderstood all of those words of scripture or whether they were doing something wrong and keeping everything from, from actually progressing. They were starting to wonder if any of it it was worth it. So Isaiah 56 through 66, this is a, a 11 chapters written to that crowd. And because it's written to that crowd in that circumstance, I think there's something there for us too. The people of God trying to be the people of God, but sometimes wondering if God's paying attention, right? The people of God trying to be the people of God, but wondering if we've misunderstood the promise and whether or not it's actually going to take root like in a real, like tangible sort of way. It's written to people like us. A real spirit of cynicism was starting to take root. It's kind of a familiar spirit of cynicism. This is the kind of thing that had caused them to wander off track before. That same kind of cynicism was creeping in. People were asking very difficult questions. And one of the questions, like we just said, was something like this. Why is it that every time we go to church, we go through all of these motions and God still doesn't seem to be paying attention? What they didn't realize in that moment was they were going through the motions of worship, let's call it liturgy, right? But they were doing so as completely self-absorbed, self-interested people. In other words, a lot of times people worship the same way they vote, with only my stuff in mind. I mean, is that us? With only my stuff in mind. So in Isaiah 58, you could kind of just hear the, the frustration in their voices. They're like, oh, every week. We come and we sing these songs. So stand up, sit down, we pray, we fast, we, we do our best to try to get God's attention. God, hello. And still God doesn't do what we want God to do. The prophet says, yeah, you, you don't get 
worship. And by the way, you don't get God. Isaiah would say, God is not some sort of vending machine waiting with God's arms crossed until you have just the right amount of liturgy, until you sing it one more time. (laughs) God is not waiting for you to do it just right. And if you think that way, then what you're trying to do is you're trying to use and manipulate God rather than being shaped and reoriented so that you can actually hear the whispering voice of God. The people then, I would submit, the people now need to be reoriented. Reoriented to the goodness and the greatness of God in order that we all might then respond to the calling of God to be the people of God, the extension of the grace of God. But they couldn't. Too frightened, too often defeated. Why do I even show up? Why even vote? My vote doesn't matter. Why even show up to worship? Things never change for me. Isaiah chapter 64. I hope I'm doing this right. There we go. Isaiah 64. Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. God, please do that thing that only you can do. And actually in chapter 65, God responds to a rebellious people who are self-interested, who worship and do the work of liturgy in their own self-interest, God responds to them and says, well, I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask. Chapter 65, verse one, to be found by those who did not seek me. I kept saying, here I am. Here I am to a nation that didn't call in my name. I held out my hands all day long to rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good following their own devices, and sometimes it's their handheld devices. You like that, right? I just wrote that in. I was late. Later wrote that one in late. Verse three, people who provoke me to my face continually. It's almost as as if God is saying, I'm doing my best here. (laughs) I'm doing my best. Well, let's ask the question that I'm sure they were asking too. Well, then where's the hope? I mean, where, okay, where is the hope? I mean, it's, it's a fair question, right? Again, if post-election, you are devastated. And again, I think there are folks who are angled both, way, both ways politically who can be devastated for different reasons. If you are devastated, When I am devastated, it's a fair question. Then where's the hope coming from? I don't know. I'm starting to think that our best hope probably isn't going to be in the people we elect. I'm starting to think that. So where, where is it coming from? This is the, this is the conversation in Isaiah. How are things going to get any better? 
I mean, here we're talking about a God that wants to make a tangible, embodied difference. But things are falling apart. And I think I can say this because it's church, maybe even going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> then where is the hope coming from? How will the, the cycle of violence, the cycles of devastation, how will they ever be interrupted? Where is the evidence that things will ever get any better? In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 65, the people are swimming and drowning in these questions. Then how will it ever get any better? And slowly, you can almost see it, God raises God's hands and says, it'll get better because I'm coming again. And again, and again and again. It'll get better because I'm always going to be coming closer and closer and closer. It'll get better, now, now hear me, I'm gonna have to clean this up in a second. It'll get better, not because you're good, says God, but because I'm good, says God. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have a role in this, right? Just because of what we've just said, not because you're good, but because God says I am good, but you still do the work of liturgy, not to change God's mind about us because, now work with me here, because God's mind us about, about us is made up and the news is? But if you don't do the work of liturgy, you won't know it. You won't be oriented to grace. And if you're not oriented to grace, you won't be animated by grace. And if you're not animated by grace, then you will not be the extension of the grace of God. The work of liturgy is done not to assuage God, but to shape you, believer, for the work that God has for us to do not in the hereafter, but today, where you live. God says, no, I, I can do this. <laughs> in fact, God says, I, I'm about to create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now, some of you will quote me a line here, and it's a pretty good one actually, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And sometimes, you know what, that's absolutely true. And sometimes a good bout of holy amnesia allows for a new start. I mean, just ask your spouse. <laughs> I mean, aren't there sometimes when after a terrible thing has happened, a terrible thing has been done, one of the best gifts you can ever give to that other who would like to make a new start is your gift of amnesia. Perhaps this is what is being said here today, the former things should not be remembered or come to mind. And it's not just I'm gonna forget the ugly things. What God is saying here is also the new thing that I'm gonna do is going to blow your mind it's gonna be bigger than you thought. And if your expectations are shaped by what has been, then you might miss what's going to be. Let me say again, let me say again, that the hope of Christianity, especially in our tradition, is not simply that you have an eternal home after you die. It is that somehow something that happened in the resurrection of Jesus, comes to bear in the day-to-day -day and changes the way that we are knit together as a people, as a church, 
but then can change the way as the church moves into the culture, change the way that a whole culture is knit together. Please help me here. And all God's people say, in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness, this is a quote that I really love this week. In spite of Israel's unfaithfulness, Isaiah declares that God will still rejoice and delight in God's people and in the holy and ruined city because human sin is no match for God's joy. Oh, I like that. And it gives me a chance to say, like I love to say when we are teaching and preaching in the book of Revelation, it's not that God's going to make all new things, right? It's that God's going to make all things new. God is. God is going to make all things new, devastated voter. Completely disenchanted voter, citizen, completely disenchanted churchgoer. Man, I am around some of those. Completely disenchanted human. God says, I am going to make all things new. Fact says, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I'm about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. Continues to unpack it. Verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. Listen to how tangible and real this becomes. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime for one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. In other words, I want to say to you, I think God still is committed to human flourishing. Anybody else want to go with me there? Disenchanted voter. Devastated voter. God is still committed to human flourishing. Now, are people sometimes the obstacle? Well, for sure. When has that not been the case? Right? But this is the God who can create something out of nothing. Beginnings out of endings. Victory out of anguished loss. This is the God who seeks a people who will just keep a little bit of a grip on divine imagination so that they can still be parts of the plan, parts of the process whereby God can continue to invest in the flourishing of human beings. He goes on to say, verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Man, they were used to being exploited. They were used to being exploited. But God is against human exploitation. Consequently, the people of God are against exploitation of any kind. So God says, well, what I'm trying to do is not just in your heart and in your soul. It's going to be in your households and in your neighborhoods. Here's where we're headed. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. What we don't need right now though are Christians who will rock back and forth in their pews and sing songs about heaven and assume that this is only about heaven after you die. Man. We don't need churches 
to decide that a neighborhood is too dangerous and pack up and move to more valuable real estate. And we don't need the people who would go to those churches to act like that either. I mean, we're a people of hope. That's kind of been the theme of so many of these passages throughout common time. Be careful that you aren't too addicted to what your eyes see or to the noises that distract you from the whispering voice of God, but try by virtue of your perseverance. Try by virtue of your liturgies. Try to at least stay in some contact with the hope of God so that you can be the people of God, an extension of the grace of God. Now, how is this possible? Why will this happen? I think the more important question is how will this come to be? And the answer is one that we've heard before, but I think we've heard it so often that sometimes it loses its teeth. So hear this. This answer, it may be astounding to us if we really take it seriously, challenging to our every sense and sensibility, but it's pretty simple. Here's the answer. Because God will draw close. Deepen the covenant between God and all of God's people. Open and strengthen lines of communication just by being around, active, near. How close? Well, God says here, here's how close. Before you call, I will answer, and while you are yet speaking, I will hear. Now, to somebody struggling with hearing loss here, that is like nose to nose. God is always in the process of coming closer. And friends, if and when you and I, when we are open to the God who wants to be intimately close, that is the moment, now think about this, that is the moment when everything can change. John, what do you mean by everything? Well, like this kind of everything, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This was the dream for Jerusalem. Again, it, if you have relegated the best dreams of God to the hereafter, because you have decided that it can't take place here because have you seen the news? Then is it possible that in that moment you aren't a working piece of the kingdom of peace? I mean, There's great audacity here. And, and maybe audacity is a Christian quality that we don't talk about very often, maybe not often enough. The audacity to believe that this would be possible. Whoever could summon the audacity to say, well, someday there will be a moment when folks who are diametrically and politically opposed will be able to have lunch. But someday, there will be 
a neighborhood in which people with these signs in their yard and a neighbor who has the opposing signs in his or her yard, someday they'll actually still be able to be friends. Imagine that kind of neighborhood. Well, the only people who can imagine that kind of neighborhood are the people who allow this God to come so close that you can't miss that this is the essence of God. The God who looks at a group of people who have failed time and again, time and again, and who are wondering if any of this ever works. The God who will hear the questions of the people of God saying, how will things ever change? How will things ever change? The God who, if you're keeping the score, <laughs> recognizes that the people of God are constantly in the process of breaking covenant. <laughs> That same God is one who says, let's try this again. I'm, I'm going to step a whole step closer. Let's try this again. What, what might it look like if I step a whole step closer, get more involved in your life, nose to nose? What might this look like if I were to step a whole step closer? The people who allow this God and who participate, participate in realizing that God has stepped a whole step closer, those are the people who can have lunch with the neighbor who has the wrong sign in his or her yard, because some of your neighbors have the wrong sign in their yards. <laughs> maybe when Jesus said, love your enemies, maybe it wasn't just like a personal resume statement. Maybe there was some deep cultural wisdom in there. Maybe what slips past us is that in this very simple statement of loving our enemies, maybe there are somewhere, maybe there is somewhere in that little statement, the resources that we might need to heal and mend this patch of ground we live on. But only the people of God who will finally appreciate that God is our only hope and will open their arms wide enough to not only embrace God, but be embraced by God, will have a chance to have this kind of future. As it turns out, I can't fix my own ear. I can't fix my own hearing problem, because if you could, I would have by now. As it turns out, I need help, and I need help in a, at a variety of levels. I should not be trusted to do the surgery myself. I don't care how good YouTube is, I just should not be trusted <laughs> to do it. But I have needed help in all kinds of ways to make the surgery even possible. I, I have needed help. And I have to confess each week that I need help. The answers that I need, the hope that I need, is not self-generated. It comes from somewhere outside of me. We're, we're talking about it on Wednesday nights in here in this class. 
chasing magic eels, or even, it's even a kind of a made up word, it's called eucatastrophe, but, but J.R.R. Tolkien would write these stories in ways that would leave you at this place where you could see the hopelessness play out on the screens in front of you or on the pages in front of you. And the only way there was gonna be any sense of hope or future is if somebody comes in from the outside to do something that you couldn't do for yourself. That is true in my own situation where my hearing is concerned, and that is true in my own situation where my life of faith is concerned. And by the way, it's the same for you. It's the same for you. Uh, I think it's been a little bit more than a year ago, we had another class on a Wednesday night. It was while we were doing classes via Zoom. And we had, uh, we were studying a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And the author, James Cone, were any of you in that class? Let me see, were any of you in that class that are here in the room? Yeah, several of you were. And the author actually showed up uh, one night on Zoom. That's the cool thing about doing stuff via Zoom. I think Richard Beck will be in our class Wednesday night via Zoom. But there was a line in that book that continues to grab my attention, and here it is. The gospel of Jesus is not a rational concept to be explained in a theory of salvation, but a story about God's presence and Jesus' solidarity with the oppressed, which led to his death on the cross. What is redemptive is the faith that God snatches victory out of defeat, life out of death, and hope out of despair. Ugh. I love that. Do you love that devastated voter? Do you love that person who is completely disenchanted with, you can fill in the blank. I met with folks this week who were disenchanted with marriage, with the political system, and with the church. It's kind of the trifecta. I got them all this week. Where is the hope coming from? What, what chance do we have in breaking any of these cycles? The hope is coming from the same place it's always come from. In the God who refuses to give up. We're gonna do a sermon series in Advent called Wonder, or some variation thereof. We're still arguing about it, but it's gonna have something to do with wonder. <laughs> and that will kick off a year's worth of passages. Now we'll start with prophetic passages who all seem to be aching for something, these prophetic passages aching for something, and we believe that that something is met in the person of Christ. We will spend the entirety of year A, from Advent to the next Advent, preoccupied with Jesus. I, and I'll just, full disclosure, because I'm preoccupied right now with Jesus. And how it is that God in Christ interrupts cycles, comes to the rescue of the devastated, and offers something where it looks for all intents and purposes like there is nothing. Does everybody recognize that that's what we do each week when we gather around the table? Does everybody realize that when we gather around the table, we aren't gathering, again, to change God's mind about us? We gather around the table in what's called a sacrament. The moment itself is sacred. 
And in this sacred moment, the hope is, by virtue of our participation in this liturgy, that somehow we become aware of a presence that we perhaps didn't spot on the way in, a whispering voice that we didn't hear on the way in. And it's broken body and shed blood, elements really emblematic of death, but we don't receive them that way. So each week, in the broken body and the shed blood, we remember a story. We remember a story of a God who does all that God can do to interrupt these cycles, to come to our rescue, who is always coming to our rescue, regardless, regardless of whether or not your candidate or issue won. Turns out our hope is in Christ. If you're helping us today, please come. Heavenly Father, in these moments now, if you would, bless these elements. Broken body and shed blood. Bless these elements, God, and with them, grant us a little bit more capacity than we had when we walked in. Capacity to see and hear. To see and hear you. God, help us in these moments of devastation, these moments when we can only describe ourselves as disenchanted. Help us to recognize and to remember again where real hope comes from. God, it's not that we want to opt out of any of these processes or conversations, but we want to, we want to be involved in these processes and in these conversations as people who have a deeper, greater hope. So help us to establish that hope here today. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, all of you who will, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive this little bit of grace. If you will do that, if you'll exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped, you'll come up to somebody holding a plate of bread. When you do, that person will take a piece of bread, place it into your open hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then I hope you'll find a place to pray. Now, if you go to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you there. Somebody will meet you at one of these side prayer altars and anoint you with oil. And by the way, it can be physical healing that you need, mental, relational, familial healing, whatever you need, we'll pray that prayer for you there. It may be that you'll wanna to come to one of these front uh, benches, these mourners benches, these kneeling benches, and we won't assume anything except that you are chronically normal and in need of the same kinds of prayers that your pastor needs. Now you can circle right back around and pray at your seats, sure can, but we would love the opportunity to pray with you if you would like that. Also today you're going to notice we have another couple who is here taking advantage of the Walt Crow Retreat Center. And Jared and Leanne Johnson and their kids will be coming down after communion. 
and they're gonna gather right here. And as we like to do, remember church, would love for you to come and gather around them to give them this tangible sense of the nourishment and the support of the people of God who are standing as the extension of the grace of God. And then I will pray for them. Now, if you would like to not participate, maybe you're concerned about COVID still, absolutely understand that. That's why some of these folks are wearing masks. If you would prefer to stay in your seat and just have one of these prepackaged elements, then these people in the aisles will be able to hand you one of those prepackaged elements as you are dismissed by row, perfectly fine. If you would like to opt out altogether, that's fine too. All are invited, but none are compelled. Are you wondering if you're qualified? Well, here's, here's what qualifies you. If you recognize your need for grace, you're qualified. If you need this kind of grace, as I do, then you are qualified. Last thing before the ritual, there's a bowl of water up here that represents the moment of your baptism. And the hope is that you'll come down and just dip your fingers, just your fingers, into the water. And in so doing, we'll be reminded of the moment of your inclusion, your initiation into the people of God. If you need to be reminded that you belong to a group that has particular marching orders, this is a great place to do it. It was on the night that he was betrayed, our Savior took bread, he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every single time you eat of it, including today, Remember me. In the same way, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink of it, remember me. Now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pews to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God. Come ahead.
guys go ahead and join us here. And anyone around who would like to join me here in support of the Johnston family? It'd be great. Can you tell me the kids' names? Wesley, Eloise, and Tommy. Welcome, guys. Welcome. I'm going to pray a brief prayer of confession, very brief. After that, I'm going to pray this prayer of commissioning before turning it over to Jason for prayers of petition. Heavenly Father, we confess that at times we are devastated. We confess that at times we are disenchanted. We confess that sometimes the noise keeps us from hearing your voice, especially when it seems like you whisper. We confess, God, that what we need is a fresh burst of hope. What we need, God, is for you to help us to get a, a glimpse that you are the source of hope. What we, need to God, what we need, God, is to be reminded on a regular basis, whether it be through the liturgy or through support, friendship of the folks around us, what we need to know is that you are still around, close, active. But we confess, sometimes we get knocked off of that track. I'm going to get out of the way and let you pray your own prayer of confession here for a few moments before we continue. So pray your own prayer. Maybe you too get easily knocked off track. Father, we are grateful for the Johnston family. We are grateful for Wesley and Eloise and Tommy. We are grateful for Leanne and Jared. We're grateful for how it is that you've been able to work in and through pastor and family to put some skin and flesh on what redemption and restoration looks like. grateful for all the good work that has been done in your name by this good and faithful family who now are asking very important and specific questions about next steps. God, would you be especially close? Especially close. Would you give Jared and Leanne and the kids this deep sense of your companionship, your intimate companionship, Give them the sense that you are in fact involved and around nearby so that as they ask these questions about next steps, they may do so assured that your mind about them is made up and the news is so good. May they make this decision in the confidence of your grace 
and your love for them. And we pray for this place or the next place where they will go, that you will go before them and prepare people, minds and hearts for the specific message of grace and restoration that they will bring. We thank you, God, for all the people who've been a part of this journey up to this day. And in that same confidence, we are already thankful for what it is you will do in and through them from this day. So bless them, God, and may they know of our love and support for them as they go as well. And now, God, hear us as we pray along with our children. All right, church family, it is time to hear some of our kids' prayers that have been prayed over the last month. So dear Lord, hear the prayers of our kids. Dear Jesus, I'm so thankful for good friends like Georgia. Jesus, I pray for my grandpa who had to go to the hospital because he had a stroke. I pray he gets better soon. Thank you, Jesus, for my loving family. I feel so cared for by them. Dear God, I hope you take care of my big dog, Growler, and my mom's fish, Bubbles, and my cat, Mimi, and all the animals and pets. Jesus, I'm excited about trick-or-treating and Fall Fest. I just hope I don't see anything too scary on Halloween. Dear Jesus, I pray that my tooth doesn't hurt when I pull it out. Dear God, please heal my cat, Cosmo. I pray for my cat, Jazzy, who throws up when she eats. I hope she gets better soon. I hope that me and my family have a good Halloween and see more scary stuff. Dear Jesus, I pray for my friend Hazel and my grandma to get over their sickness. Lord, I'm really excited for my brother's birthday party today. It's a science party. He is celebrating turning nine years old. Lord, I'm excited to dog sit my aunt's dogs while she is away in Vietnam for two weeks. Dear Lord, I pray for my grandpa to find the right new job. Jesus, in 14 days, I'll be turning eight years old. I'm so tired of being seven. God, I hope and pray that my dad won't have to work too late so I can spend some time with him. The other night, I didn't even get to see him. And now let me pray for our children. Dear Lord Jesus, as we, pray, as we prepare to enter the season of Advent, I pray that our children's hearts will be open to experience the wonder of your amazing love on full display in your birth. May they recognize and receive you as the greatest gift ever given and experience the joy in giving. I love you, Lord, and I'm so aware of the wonderful gift you have given to me in relationship with these kids. They speak to me and touch my heart with such a pure. Childlike faith, and I am so blessed. I pray for our church family that we may all be drawn close to you this season with a newfound wonder of your mystery revealed in your birth. Thank you for coming to be with us 
and to show us the way of your kingdom and how to love, how to live and relate to those around us. May this Advent season be a special one for us all. I thank you, Lord, for your loving care of our children, and I place all their prayers into your loving hands. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Lisa. Now, church, would you pray with me as we have a few moments of intercessory prayer before we say the Lord's Prayer together? And Jesus, we come to you asking for your healing in the life of those whom we love. God, we ask that you would take care of all of Logan and her health and her life as she and along with her parents wait for her surgery coming up June 1st. And so from this day to that, God, would you care for her, give her strength and the knowledge that your presence is with her, and would you be with her folks? God, we ask that you would continue in the healing of Mark Rieger as he recovers from his surgery. And God, we ask that you would take care of Drew Middendorf, his God and with his heart, and that you would bring healing and the strong sincere with him. And God, we pray for our pastor in his home. And God, as he has a few days until his surgery, God, we ask that you would, through this surgery, provide healing for his hearing. And as we pray for John's hearing, we pray for our good friend, Sadie Corder, asking God that you would allow her the great gift of hearing. And God, be with her by her side in the disappointment. But God, ask that in the days to come, you would bring her full healing of her hearing. God, we pray for just a few others. Our friends, Glenn and Betty Fain, that you'd be with them. A prayer request this morning from our friend, Kareen from Cameroon, who has a friend that just is in dire need of help. And God, this morning we pray for Kennedy. And God, we pray for our good friend, Braylon Friday. Most of you know Braylon, he's young African-American man. It's right over here, 17 years old. Braylon and his family moved to Broken Arrow this week. And so Braylon, we know you're watching online. We love you, we'll miss you in our pews and ask that you would have a wonderful, thriving, flourishing time in a new place. And God, we ask that you would take care of Braylon and continue to nurture his call to ministry and his belonging to us. And God, we ask for your blessing in his life. And now in these moments, before we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's that almost difficult time of the intercessory prayer. But even Pastor John reminded us that part of this whole wolf and lamb thing is not just loving our enemies, but maybe praying for them. And so a space for you, if you would like to at this time, have the courage or want to want to ask God for this moment to pray for your enemy, your opposite, or your irritant. And Jesus, it is our prayer that we would look more and more like you. And so church, let's pray this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.